Greetings, and welcome to Flanagan's Ecologic. I am your host, Ted Flanagan, and for this episode, we're going to be joined by Susan Eyrick. She's the Executive Director of the Earth Fire Institute, and we're going to be talking about reconnection ecology. So Susan, welcome to Flanagan's Ecologic podcast. How are you today? I'm excellent. Thank you. I know you're a little jet lagged because you mentioned you just got back from Europe. So yeah. how long how long were you away for? I was away for two weeks. One week of it was an ex- exceptional um, retreat conference where the idea is to begin to train emerging world leaders in a much wider range than their usual form of education so they can do a better job, including sustainability and values and not just politics and money. And you are... Um... You're, you're operating, as I think about you, and I've done a little bit of reading about you, you're operating at such a global level, like this conference that you just talked about, Emerging Leaders, and then you're running this center in Idaho, where, I mean, you're in a log cabin right now. I can, I can see it. Can you describe Earth Fire for us, just in, in brief, what Earth Fire is? Well, it's named after a wolf that I helped raise a long time ago. Um, you're right in terms of going from specifically dealing with specific animals like this particular bear, this particular wolf, this particular bison, and the incredible wonder and uniqueness of each individual animal being. But that serves as a portal into an understanding about wolves or bears or bison and that expands into an understanding of wildlife and then into wildlife as a setting into nature so the deep personal intimate one-on-one detailed connection with an animal serves as a portal out into understanding and connecting with all of nature and how nature works and the other way back too if you're talking about more abstract things like part of the conference was just a brilliant physicist talking about how He's developed a new theory in quantum mechanics about how it's clear that the nature itself, the universe itself, is inherently conscious and that we're all expressions of that consciousness. Uh, Whether you agree with that or not, it's this flow back and forth between the intimate, specific experience that affects us very strongly emotionally out to the larger and back to the individual. And it sounds like they're very disparate, but actually because nature itself works on all these levels. Um, if our brains can can comprehend it, that is the way nature works. All of these at the same time. You can only experience them at a moment, you know, the individual bear or this larger picture of, say, the universe being conscious. But what Earth Fire in itself is, is a wildlife sanctuary and retreat center, and it's a wildlife sanctuary for animals that mostly mostly can never be released. Um, some of them can be. And because they're never released, we get to spend a lifetime intimately with them. And because of that, we get to see things that can't be seen in a zoo and can't be seen in the wild. We get to really get to know the animals and their capacities. Um, And some of the stories are simply mind-blowing and incredible. And the only thing I can say is, if you have a scientific bent, which I tend to be, um, good science is observing what is and not saying it couldn't be if it is. <laughs> and some of those stories have have been like that. And then to begin to share the under, underlying thrust of it isn't just to have a sanctuary for these animals, which is primary, 
but then to share the wonder of them with the rest of us so that our lives are enriched and so that we are moved to save land for them. So we build small houses, we use less, we make sure when we build that we're thinking about the animals. Um, so the, uh, to help us really um, work as if we're a true community. Yeah. And you don't take advantage of community members. And, and we're dancing around this term that you phrased, reconnection ecology, right? Yeah. It's reconnecting at all these different levels. Yeah. Yeah. Something. So um, I say reconnect because I think we innately are connected. And the way that we're raised in our various cultures um, helps us disconnect from ourselves and from our connection with nature. And then we're lost. And then we can depend on, on money and accumulation and rushing around as a way to try to fill the emptiness. But if we're deeply connected to nature, we're, we're grounded and we're rich and we're full. Um, so the first step of reconnection ecology is to help us deeply reconnect. We do this through things like uh, storytelling circles where people begin to share in a safe space experiences that they had that they would be afraid to share or embarrassed to share. And those storytelling circles are just amazing because people come up with these deep experiences they've had with nature that really changes how we understand the nature of reality and, and nature itself, but they're hidden. And so we really want us, uh, when I say people, I mean us, because I'm a people too, all of us, um, want us to begin to reconnect to those experiences because they're guidelines and, and, and guidances for us about how to live our lives. And I can give examples of it, but um, I just wanted to finish with the reconnection ecology. One is to reconnect. And the next is to trust those connections. That's really, really important over and over and over again. Well, I'm, I, I had this thing I've never shared with anyone before, but you know, they're so embarrassed and, and, and don't think they're important or they're taught they're not important. And we're saying it's just the opposite. That is what's important to live from that place. And we wouldn't have any environmental crises if we lived from that place of connection. So to reconnect, to trust, and then to act from that place. So this is, you're, you're rooted in, you're, you're so eloquent, it's wonderful hearing you speak, and you're rooted in such deep virtues that are, just resonate with me. Let's, let's back up a little bit and just talk about the physical, the, the, the center there, the institute. It's 160 acres. I understand you had to build a bridge across a stream or a creek uh, to get there. It's somehow it's situated in this Yellowstone to Yukon wildlife corridor. So you have a really unique and you've got, I've seen the pictures of the gorgeous mountains around there. You've, you just found a spot that just seemed perfect, right? Yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing's perfect, I guess. Um, physically is perfect. Yeah. It's gorgeous land connected to the Yellowstone to Yukon wildlife corridor because it's connected to a wildlife corridor and a little finger of it runs through the land because we're connected up with that flow of life, the land itself is incredibly vibrant. It's also situated right in the heart of conservative ranching community who wants to kill all the animals we have. Oh, that's the not perfect part. Yes, the <laughs> wolves, if you read anything about it, the Idaho wants to kill them all. Bears, yeah. Idaho wants to kill them all. Mountain lions, we want to hunt them with dogs. Coyotes are to be shot, etc. So there's the um, 
And it's interesting, uh, someone with a more philosophical bent would say, well, you're exactly where you're supposed to be. You're right in the belly of the beast, so to speak. Um, right where you need it the most. But it, it doesn't make life very easy. Yeah. So that, let's let's go back. Now, you are, I, I'm getting the impression maybe you're from Colorado. No. Born and raised in Colorado? Where were you born and raised? My parents are Viennese. And they, they left Vienna because of Hitler. And my father went to the University of Cambridge. And that's where I was born. And, and then, now, but then you came, well, where'd you go to college? Cornell University. Cornell. And that was for biology, wasn't it? Yes, it was. So you're sort of, you know, we're working our way west here. <laughs> yes. Well, my, fa my father was also a mountaineer in Austria. And we came out west when I was about 11 or 12. And I took one look at the west in general and said, this is my country. I'm going to live here. And my parents laughed at me. And I said, no, I'm going to live here. Um, so I had it in the back of my mind always. Yeah. First chance I had to move out here. Yeah, and then somehow you you shifted from biology to psychology and becoming a, a doctor of psychology. And I, I love your resume. You worked with a tribe in the Amazon, lived in a village in Tibet, uh, psychiatrist in maximum security prisons, uh, teaching uh, in Japan, <laughs> in, in in Greece. You've been all over the place, uh, but but then you had this. Uh, opportunity to work for the Nature Conservancy that just seemed to shift for you, uh, your focus? Um, a psychologist, not a psychiatrist. Um, so I always loved nature. I was always deeply connected to it. Um, and that's why I got a degree in biology. But at the time, biology was much more scientific. Ecology and the larger thinking wasn't really that. Uh, it was just beginning. And I just did not want to work in the lab. And... Um, If a family flees, basically I'm an immigrant, if a family flees from something like Hitler and we lost, my father lost some relatives, they're traumas. And they're so there are family issues for me. And I, I started to say, you know, I, I want to go get some counseling. And I said, this stuff is really interesting. And I was just absolutely fascinated by the whole idea of psychology and went ahead and got a degree in it. And I'm still practicing actually part-time. Um, because it's good psychology is you're, help, you're helping people open and bloom to their real potential. And the problems are just sort of a, a secondary thing to, if you have that wonderful energetic tra trajectory of developing yourself to be the, your full potential, everything else kind of falls away. And some way that's, and so when I was working in the prisons, I was taking that point of view and it was amazing. Uh, it was a, just a, a beautiful experience to work in the prisons. It was like being a light in the darkness and they were so attracted to the light yeah. and they really wanted to work with you. Um, but as I stayed with psychology, I remembered ultimately that my first love was being out in nature, mm -hmm. working with nature. So I simply took the two and um, combined them here. So- um, And started off at the Nature Conservancy. When I came back from overseas teaching, I said, I really need, to, and I'd been in Nepal and in the Himalayas, et cetera. I said, I really want to be connected with nature. So yes, I got a job with the Nature Conservancy. And that was very enjoyable, but it was on the East Coast and I wanted to be in the West. Oh, 
Oh. <laughs> so now how did this come about? You, I know you met this animal handler, Jean yes. Simpson. Jean, French. Jean. Excuse me, what? Excuse me, what? Uh, and where was he? He was in Utah. Okay. So apart from my love of nature, I always loved wolves. And I have no idea why I loved wolves. Just why do you love what you love? I'd never met one. Um, and I heard that it's possible many years ago, there was a woman who started to breed wolves and dogs. It was a new thing at that time. And the first moment I heard that, I said, I'm getting one. I don't care what the consequences are. I'm getting one. So I did. And then I drove around the country to meet everyone who had one because I had to do right by this animal. It wasn't a dog and it wasn't a wolf. And there were only a few people who had them at that point. So I drove around the whole country, 8,000 miles to meet everyone with, so I could learn and do right by him. And in the process, I met Jean, who actually had wolves, full wolves, who was training for movies. Um, and he is a most remarkable person. We'd make a joke and he agrees that he's only half human. <laughs> the other half is animal. I mean, he's, he's like a, a connector. He connects to every animal. Does If he's with a badger, the badger falls in love with him and he becomes a badger or a wolf or a bison. And when I met him, um, my passion is to share beauty and growth with humans. And it was very clear that if together he could handle and share the animals and I could translate with humans and that together we would form something pretty powerful. So together we decided to form Earthfire. Yeah. And and you you had started to work with him and I, I, there's the story of the seven wolf pups. He had invited me to, so he had seven wolf pups as a result of uh, a movie he was on, teach, uh, working on. Um, and he invited me to help raise them. They're a bit of a handful. And um, I don't know about you, but to me it was obvious that you drop everything to do that. So, so <laughs> I dropped everything to do that. Um, and in the process, um, fell deep, more deeply in love than I ever had with anything except one cat many years ago, just hopelessly in love with these wolf pups yeah. and, and felt who they were. And I said, I have to share this with people. Yeah. I have to share the essence of this incredible, passionate, wild beauty. So, so the two of you then formed Earthfire. Yes. He more on the animal handling, you more on that reconnection side that we've been talking yes. about. Yes. Great combination. He reconnects instinctively. I wish I shouldn't even say reconnect. He never disconnected. Um, <laughs> so he does it on a almost animal instinctive level that's incredibly educational for people simply to see, to watch him with people. With, with I say people with animals, and yes, it was a it is a powerful combination. Yeah, yeah. So now talk about what you've got in terms of animals now at, at the institute. I looked on your website and it, it's it's incredible the diversity of animals that you have. We have mammals primarily that are native to the Yellowstone Deacon Wildlife Corridor. So we don't have lions or bears or anything that's not native. We have animals that belong here. And then they can teach about the importance of saving habitat here and the, the whole 2,000 mile long wildlife corridor. Um, so we have black bears, grizzly bears, um, bison, fox, cougar, wild, other wild cats, um, basically mammals that belong here. So, so for example, like the, a, you have a grizzly bear there? Four. 
for? And, and are they are they injured and therefore they're not able to move on? Or they were, they were born in captivity. Were born in captivity. Uh-huh. One came from a roadside zoo. One actually came from a woman who bred bears for movies, but she had she got divorced and couldn't keep them anymore. Um, two others came from an area from a guy who was breeding them for Barnum and Bailey. Yeah. The mother had three, and he only wanted one. So they were. Um, he was eighty, but he was doing breeding bears. I don't know because they can live thirty years. But anyway, so they came from various various places, but none came from the wild. And then they all they all have their own pens, or mm-hmm. right? They're all they're segregated in that way. They are because they tend not to get along. And not to get along, yeah, yeah. And then, and in addition to handling all these animals and caring for them, which you do for their life, as I understand it, yes. um, through then, their passing, we have a cemetery on the property. Oh, you do, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, the, but then people are are welcome to come by reservation only. I understand, but they yes. come to Earth Fire. Yes, and to experience this re- reconnection, and and what what is that experience like for people? Do they come for a matter of hours, or do they sometimes come for days? Or I know you have some staff that have been there, probably camped there forever. But um, what's the typical visit like? Well, the minimum is um, two hours, which we don't like to do, um, and we send a package out in advance of what people should be expecting. Like you're not coming in order to look at the animals. You're coming to have an actual connection with them. And you're not coming for yourself. We're not an entertainment place. This place is for the animals. Uh, There's so few places for them in the world. And there are plenty of places for people to go for entertainment. But if you generally want to come and interact and connect with them. And I do ask that anybody who comes makes a commitment to do something for wildlife after they leave. Whatever it is, doesn't matter, but that they not just come and take, because we've done that enough. So um, as humans- Can you think of any examples of things that people have done as a result of that? Not enough. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> um, but they, they, they're, many people have, have a profound, um, I would say often a lifelong change in perspective. And it's yeah, hard yeah. to tell how that plays out over time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but do we have a strong, powerful impact on people? Yes, almost universally. And you've, I read some of your materials. You pretty much said, don't take pictures or we're going to limit your picture taking. It's not about taking pictures. It's, yeah. more, it's, it's experiencing. Yeah. So that to finish that other thought is, so we will have two-hour visits, um, but mostly we prefer having retreats where people come for two, three, or four days, and they can really begin to settle in and feel the land and start to take the time to connect with animals because they're in a different time frame than our rush, rush, rush. You can't really meet an animal to out. You can, and people have profound experiences, but I prefer the retreats of people. I prefer having people come for longer period, fewer people, lousy business model, but have, have fewer people come for more profound experience. Yeah. That, yeah. It sounds fantastic. And um, how many people, do you take at a time? My preference is two, but that's not realistic. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So retreats will be from eight to 14 people. I understand that you've 
you have been successful in getting grants or, or, or people are, are donating. Something, something is going well for you right now, right? We have gotten almost zero grants because we're sort of cutting edge thinking. And it's very difficult to get grants for that. What? Make a connection with the grizzly bear? Um, it's much easier to get a grant for uh, saving land or this, that, or the other. But what we do get, um, and the majority of it is from people who visited because it's just difficult to get a feel for the place unless you're actually here yeah. physically and viscerally. But we get a lot of donations from people yeah. who've been here. Yeah. Um, and, and so you're growing at this point. I know you're adding some new bear, you call them bear gardens, I believe. Yeah. So when we first started, um, Jean and I had no money. And literally the, the access to the land was two culverts with some dirt in between that you drove over the top of the culverts. Um, so we built everything as best we could with, and he was with incredible ingenuity. Um, but now it's been 20 years and everything needs to be rebuilt. And we are rebuilding it with a much better eye towards giving the animals the absolute best possible life we can. And, you know, you can't put a, a grizzly bear in something sloppy. It's got to be really, really solid. That's for sure. <laughs> and do, they try, do they try to break out? No. They don't try to break out, but they explore. Explore. It's very different from breaking out. <laughs> and, well, one of the last times I was on the phone with you, all the wolves started baying. Um, howling. Howling. Who, yes. bay, who bays then, if they don't, not wolves? Dogs. Dogs bay at wolves. Dogs. <laughs> yes. But now, are they just are they just at large, or are they? No. They're they're in enclosed areas also. If they were at large, they'd be shot in a second. Okay. Yeah. So we have we have enclosures where they're closed in at night because we're guided by extremely strict um, Idaho regulations. Um, but during the day, they have gardens. Yeah. Yeah. Where they can run. So where, where does this, uh, I, I, I applaud everything you've done. It's fantastic learning about it. And, and where do you go from here? Or, or, or are you just there already? Uh, is, there a, is there a future model here? Are you trying to scale this? Are you trying to replicate it? Are you, are you just trying to prove the, the value of what you're doing in a very organic way? or? Probably all the above, starting to prove the value in an organic way because that's just how it happened. But ideally, um, understanding the profound connection is possible. Most wildlife sanctuaries do a really good job, a really caring job of caring for the animals, but they don't take the next step of sharing that deep relationship and sharing that with other people. Um, so ideally, we would make a, a shift so that there'd be earth fires all over the world but not, not as a franchise kind of thing, just that we'd be stimulating and um, helping people envision what, what they can do in their area. So that would be great. Um, my own undying passion is to help us really see and enjoy and luxuriate in this incredible world we're part of um, and celebrate the joy of life and, and preserve it. And the best way I know how to do it is to help us connect to what's around and have the animals serve as a conduit towards connecting to the wonder that's around us. Most of us have a little bit of a sense of it from our dogs and our cats mm -hmm. that are pretty remarkable. 
and but expanding that out. So um, my my goal is to speak and write as much as possible, to find someone who has a similar bent as me to continue after I can't do that anymore, um, to share this vision of how we can live together in a sense of true sense of community that everything around us is part of a living community, animals and trees and plants. And then we treat everything with respect and, and get the joy that comes from that. Um, I have something written here that I like. And the idea is that um, all life is sacred. That's a radical statement because if we believe it, it means a profound reordering of how we live, consume, and function together as a society. But we need a radical shift to solve our ecological crisis Human consciousness must expand to connect with all life, with its multitude of wisdoms, intelligences, and spirit. And to make this shift, we need to connect deeply, fall in love with other life forms, because connection opens channels through which flows information, strength, and healing, leading to creative practical solutions. So that would be my vision for Earth Fire to keep doing that as much as possible. Help us see that all life is sacred. Help us understand that it's not a loss if we decide to give up cars and have public transportation. It's a gain. Um, to, to dare to think boldly, because um, that's what we need, and also it will lead to happiness. Yes, really well. Well put. And um, we do need so desperately a radical shift. And you're, you're giving us some really, really, really powerful insights. Well, I thank you. I thank you for this conversation and I thank you for what you're doing. And I look forward to being in touch with you and supporting your and supporting your mission. Thank you, Ted. Okay. Have a great afternoon. You too. So that's it, folks. Thanks for listening in to Flanagan's Ecologic. We'll see you next time.